No one comes to the Father but through Him. And this is why the gospel is the good news. Death no longer has any power over Jesus. Therefore, it no longer has any power over you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're believing for anything else from God, you're believing for small stuff. Get motivated and be inspired by Inspiration for Today. Alright, let's just pray together. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to my life, that you administer to my heart. I ask that your word would be revealed to me today in a way that I can understand it, so that I can speak it and do it and see it change my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're starting a new series today, and it's uh, Live by God's Divine Power. And I want you to understand that the divine power of God is available for all of us. And um, today the sermon's entitled, Do You Know the Incredible Gift God Has Given You? And I want to ask you that as you're sitting here today, we're going to be having communion a little later on. If you look at those, that uh, bar thing over there, you know, right there by where the information sign is, where you get information right now today about communion. Do you understand the incredible gift that that communion actually signifies? It's something that cannot be described in words. And uh, we've been looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, for the last number of weeks, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, here's the thing. What is the pattern of this world? How does this world think? This world is ungrateful for what they have. This world has got a sense of entitlement. This world is a world in which people believe they must get everything and not have to pay anything. You know, um, there's been demonstrations in certain parts, and I'm not talking about Jane Turf, but in certain parts of, of the greatest city of Johannesburg, where by and large the majority of the residents do not pay for electricity. They do not pay. They've got illegal connections. And yet this past week they're protesting, and I want to tell you, those of us who are paying for electricity, we're getting load shed because people aren't paying. We're talking billions of rands every month that are not being paid. And then we expect Eskom to work. We expect Eskom to be able to function. Why? We are entitled to electricity. That is the mindset of the world. And now we're going to dig up the road. <laughs> we're going to make holes in the road to show you what we can do. Literally, this has been in our newspapers. So what happens is the mindset of the world says, something's broken, we're upset that it's broken, let's break some more stuff. Alright, I'm unhappy in my marriage, so let's break some more of the marriage. If we looked at what we looked at last week, when, when the apostles preached, God showed up. When you preach, God is supposed to show up. We also looked at the fact, and it was from a story in Acts chapter 14, we looked at when God showed His power, the resistance against the church grew uh, or increased greatly. 
So it's not as if, okay, the power of God comes along. It's not as if everyone now goes, oh, Jesus is real, and they get on their knees and they start worshiping. It doesn't happen like that. In fact, the more the power of God shows up amongst the people of God, the more the enemies of God get freaked out. And when they preached the gospel, they preached it wherever they went. And they understood the blood of identity. And they understood that in order for people to, to be able to see the gospel through us, the blood of identity needs to be applied. Now, what we're going on today is asking the question, do you know the incredible gift God has given you? We've been speaking about patterns of thinking and a pattern of thinking of someone that has had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ is very different to someone of the world. And I want you to think about the world and just to take it a step further. I mean, imagine this. You don't pay for electricity, yet you demand to have electricity. And if you don't get the electricity, you begin to make holes in the road. And I want to ask you this question, how arrogant is that? And I want you to really think about that word arrogant because if you think about the world, the world not only is arrogant, the world promotes arrogance. So just in case you're thinking I'm bashing Eskim today or bashing the people that bash Eskim today, let's go on to another subject. Let's look at how the world promotes arrogance in sport. You know, you can go and look in any sport, and some of the people that are involved, some of the sportsmen and women, they are the greats. They are better than the average. They are better than the average good uh, champions. Every now and then you get these champions that, that stick out. And if a great of the game is arrogant, let's just say in a team sport, if a great in the game is arrogant... The fans of that team for whom that great plays are very happy. They love it. The fans of the opposing teams hate it. But I want you to think about this kind of arrogance that you often see. Whether you love it or hate it, the reality is that... Um, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Arrogance leaves an incredibly bad taste in the mouth. And the reason why arrogance is there is because people are all about self-promotion. The mindset of the world is about me promoting myself. Me telling everyone how great I am. Me telling everyone how awesome I am. And when you promote yourself, there is a problem because when you promote yourself, you also promote your sin. And here's the problem with your sin. It leads to death. So when you're promoting yourself, you're promoting your sin, therefore you're promoting your death. You might as well, what, 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 I mean, at the end of the day, if you really want to be accurate in promoting yourself, go to a place that sells coffins and go and promote your coffin. 
I know we don't realize that that's what we're doing, but that's actually what we're doing. The kingdom has a totally different pattern. And the kingdom pattern is described in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, which says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, I just want to mention the first thing there. Each person has been dealt a measure of faith. You do not come and say, I do not have the faith for that. The Bible is clear that everyone has been dealt a measure of faith. But now I want to go back to this arrogance thing. Arrogance comes from thinking, if you've done something well, thinking, I did it. It was me. And thinking you did it is a dangerous thinking pattern, especially for a person who's a Christian. And so Paul is actually addressing this. Because even at that time, even when Paul was writing to the Romans, arrogance was a problem. Let me tell you something. The Romans were very arrogant about what at that stage was the most advanced civilization that had ever been built anywhere in the entire world. And he's writing to the Romans and he's telling them, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Paul, in, address, in addressing this, speaks, speaks of it in view of God's grace that God has given to him, to the Apostle Paul. He says, in view of this incredible grace that God has given me, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought. And today I want you to think about that word grace. And what does that word grace mean? Well, for Paul, what the word grace meant was that he was nothing without Jesus. And he knew that he was nothing without Jesus. I want to read that first bit of that verse from the Passion Translation, Romans 12, verse 3. It says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. He's saying some of you, when I speak about pride, are going to get upset because you're going to tell me I have pride. You know, we like to do that. If someone comes up and speaks the word to us and starts saying to us, look, you're struggling here with pride. The issue you're dealing with here is pride. Guess what people do? They, oh, no, no, you're the one that has pride. You're a fine one to talk. What is the first thing we do if someone comes and speaks to us about something is we attack. But Paul understood grace. And Paul said, out of my understanding of grace, I'm giving you a warning against pride. Now, Pride becomes easier to deal with if we understand grace. And what did he mean when he used the term grace? If you look at it from the message, he says it this way. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. Tell the person next to you, say deep gratitude. It's not just about being grateful for what the Lord has given us. It's about having a deep gratitude. It comes from deep down right there in the core of our souls. Paul had gratitude for what God had given him. And I want you also to think about that word grace. That word grace comes from the word charis. And charis means graciousness as gratifying of manner, of manner or act. In other words, either you have a manner of grace or there's an action of grace. And then he says this, 
especially the divine influence upon the heart. So grace is the divine influence upon the heart, the influence of Almighty God upon the heart and its reflection in life. So this divine power, this divine influence of God comes upon the life and then the life reflects it out that people can see. Another word or description of grace, if you go and you look at the dictionary of the original word charis, is acceptable. When I've received the Lord's grace, it means I'm acceptable. Without the blood of Jesus, without my faith being placed in the Lord Jesus Christ, without me making Jesus the Lord of my life, I am not acceptable to Almighty God. But He makes me acceptable. The definition goes on further. It says, goodwill, loving kindness, favor. And, it's, and, and, and let me just read this, how this describes this. The merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. You didn't even go to Jesus without the grace of God. The only reason you're sitting here today is because of the power of grace. If it wasn't for the power of grace, you wouldn't even be able to sit here today. Don't think, oh, you know, I go to church if it, uh, if it suits me. They'll be lucky to have me. No, no, we're not lucky to have you. You, you are only able to sit here by the power of God. If it wasn't for the power of God, you wouldn't even be sitting here. And then he goes on and the definition says this. His merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of the Christian virtues. So God gives you the power to be able to live the life the Bible says we need to live. Let me just tell you something. You know, people many times say, I don't want to live the life of the Bible. Those, that, that, that Bible stuff is for goody, goody tissues. Let me tell you something. I'll give you a challenge right now. You can't live the Bible. You can try, but you will fail. You know, talking about this arrogance thing. I was watching the NBA playoffs. You understand what I'm saying? My word, they've got arrogancy. Gee, those guys are arrogant. And the one time there's this one play, he plays in Memphis, and, um, you know, he, he, he dribbles past people, and he's fast, and all of this kind of stuff. And then you see him saying, after he goes and he scores a basket, you can't guard me. You can't guard me. You can't guard me. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. You can't do me. You haven't got what it takes. You can't do me. <laughs> you can't do me. And then grace says, now you can. Without the power of God, you can't do it. Yeah, we can give the Lord a big round of applause. Because without the power of God, you can't do the Bible. And so we're living under the merciful kindness that God has given us. And the Lord gives us power to live according to Christ. And we're doing communion today, and communion is all about the grace of God and the blood of Jesus and what it's done for us. And what is Paul's story of receiving grace? And I want you, as we're going to have a communion today, because a lot of our understanding of communion comes from Paul, what do we learn about the encounter that he had with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And I want to take you to Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, which Paul was first Saul. And when Paul was Saul, he was trying to kill the church, literally. And it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if they were found in them, any that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He neared Damascus on his journey, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord Saul asked? I knew it was God. Who are you, Lord Saul asked? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And then later on, when he goes and he does what the Lord told him to do, and he waits here in Damascus, we see that this happened in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to tell you, if you look at Saul, there Saul has an encounter, becomes Paul. And the thing that you need to realize is this, a genuine encounter with Jesus radically transforms people's lives. The transformation is radical. Saul of Tarsus persecuted the church because he believed the church was a threat to Judaism. He believed it was a threat to the faith of God. But then he had an encounter with Jesus and he changed dramatically. And here's the challenge. Many times people come to church and they're caught in the grip of grace. Oh! They're caught in the grip of grace, but they want to change slowly. Give me time. Give me time. Just back off a little bit. Just give me time. Just give me time. Don't pressurize me. Just give me time. Give me time. Tom! Tom! Tom is all I need. Let me make a blues song. Because I need Tom. Do, 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 do. But you know, an example of Pastor Cesar. Imagine a woman is in labor and the baby says to her, I'm not ready to be born. I just need time. I'm sure that woman's going to say, you ain't got time. Out you go. Imagine a thief. A thief who steals a million rand a day. And they have an encounter with Jesus and they want to change little by little. Instead of stealing a million rand a day, let me just cut back to 500,000 a day. Eventually I'll get to zero. It doesn't work like that. Imagine like some smokers, you know. I want to stop smoking. Let me cut back. I'm smoking 90 cigarettes a day. I'll cut back to 60. Eventually I'll get to one and eventually I'll... It doesn't work like that. If you try to leave drugs little by little, 
You try stopping being a drug addict, you know, full on on heroin, crack, cocaine, all of them together, plus in your pair, everything, flacker, all the, all the names, any name you can find, brown sugar, whatever you want to call the stuff, zol, weed, tacha, whatever you want to call it, you want to stop little by little. I was taking heroin, now I'm just smoking dacha. If you want to leave them a little at a time, you won't be able to. Until you surrender to Jesus. All of the stuff, the addictions, whatever, until you surrender to Jesus, it's not going to stop. And what you have to realize, it's a decision. And that's where our will comes in. And that's where we lay down our will before Jesus. And why do some people not take the step to be born again? Because there are people that do not take the step to be born again. Why do they not take the step to be born again? Because God has given us free will. He's given us the freedom to choose. You can choose to make Jesus your Lord, but you don't have to. He's not going to force you. And God will not pressure anyone. If you look at the prodigal son, the father gave him the inheritance he asked for. He asked for his, father, he, he asked for his father's inheritance. The inheritance from his father's estate while his father was still alive. The father did not pressurize him. The son wasted his life. And he wasted his life and he wasted all his money. And guess what he found out? He found out what so many people find out. When he's got a lot of money, he's got a lot of friends. But when the money goes, the friends go with the money. He was left alone and he realized he should never have left his father's house. And that led into a change. It led into a new beginning. And this is what God wants to do with every single person. He wants to lead us to new beginnings. And I'm telling you now, our problem is not Eskom. Our problem is not the ANC. Our problem is not the DA. Our problem is not the EFF. Our problem is not political. It's not the banks. Our problem is that people need a change. They need to be led to the place where they have a new beginning. But I want you to realize the new beginning doesn't happen unless it's as dramatic as what happened to Saul who became poor. When we give our life to Jesus... We have to do it wholeheartedly, which means we give it with all of our hearts. We give it with all of our strength. If you look at Paul's uh, conversion, it was complete. There was nothing that was left out. He gave everything to the Lord. And why was he able to do it? Because he knew he had made mistakes. And for three days he sat there blind, not being able to see. For three days he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus worked on him. And Jesus touched him. And Jesus gave him a revelation about the blood of Jesus. And then he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then he got baptized. And then he got vision. As a rabbi, he knew the Bible. He didn't need to go to the, 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 the PTA, the Preacher's Teaching Academy. He already knew that he'd been there, just learning it for someone else. So he begins to preach immediately. And he preached Jesus with all his heart. As much as he tried to destroy the church before, now he was preaching Jesus with all of his heart. And so he worked hard to take the gospel to many nations. His conversion was so genuine that it shook the world. He shook the world with his disciples. He literally shook the world. And I want to tell you, it's time for you to shake the world by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. The blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony about what the blood of Jesus has done for you is how you will shake the world. 
you will not shake the world any other way. You can know everything. You can do everything. You can have all the money. You can have all the power. You can raise the dead, but you will not shake the world without the blood of Jesus and the word of your testimony about what Jesus has done for you. And Paul had a son, a spiritual son. His name was Timothy. And in his second letter, I think we looked at this one recently, 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, And the things you have heard heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I've taught you many things. These things that I've taught you, I want you to teach them to others. And I want you to teach them to faithful men. I want you to teach them to men who will be faithful. Men who are qualified to teach others. And Paul's disciples had to continue to teach what they had received from their leader. And here's the, 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 the thing I want you to realize. A person who does not listen to their leader does not understand that their leader is the person whom God has put in their life. Every one of us need to be in a cell group. We need to have a leader. And Timothy knew that Paul had conceived him in the gospel and he understood that Paul had been given to him as a gift by Almighty God. He knew it. And so he was willing to listen. And people do not realize that the, the Christian life is like a tree. People do not realize that. A tree that is meant to produce fruit. And God has called you to produce the fruit of the gospel. In John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I want you to notice what Jesus says. If we stay in him, we will bear much fruit. I've had many discussions with many Christians over the years. And many times they come and they believe they're all spiritual and they're saying all sorts of stuff. But if you do not have the fruit of the gospel, if you do not have the fruit of what the Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about you, if you do not have the fruit of disciples, there's a problem. In the vine, everything has to bear fruit. Every branch has to bear fruit. In John chapter 15 there we see that the the vine dresser comes and cuts off the branches that do not produce fruit and the person who says I don't care about fruit or about people going to hell they need to realize the measure you use will be used against you if you give mercy you receive it if you give indifference you will receive it and so Paul tells Timothy I want you to go out as Jesus has saved me and as I preach the gospel and you've been saved and you know his mother was saved and his grandmother was saved Timothy came from a lineage a gospel lineage those that went before him they were powerful servants of the gospel and he tells Timothy these these men that I want you to send out to go and teach the gospel they have to be faithful men they have to be faithful to their spouse they have to be faithful to their leaders they have to be faithful to their children they have to be faithful to their bosses they have to be faithful to their God
God puts a huge price on faithfulness. God puts a huge price on loyalty. All of those things go under the word faithful. And he says, give it to those who will be faithful, not only to look after it, be people of integrity, but to go and tell others. Qualified men. Men will be able to teach. What stops you being faithful? What is it that stops you being faithful? It is the lies of the adversary. The lies of the enemy. And I want you to think, we spoke about it last week towards the end of the service, but I want you to think about what are the lies of the enemy that you have believed? What are the lies of the enemy that you have accepted? Many people encounter real problems in the area of their self-image. In the area of the image of who they are. But the thing is, it's, 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 it's all based on a lie. It's, it's simply there because the adversary always tries to distort the image that we have of ourselves with lies. I want you to look at me. What are the lies that the enemy has told you? Look at me. All of you look at me. What are the lies that the enemy has told you? Has he said something to you about the shape of your ears? Has he said something to you about the shape of your nose? Or your lips? Or your figure? Has he put lies in your head about your abilities? Does he keep reminding you of your mistakes? The enemy loves to remind us of our mistakes. Has the enemy been sowing distrust in your heart? You can never ever be what God's called you to be if you have a distrusting heart. It is so important to remember that the enemy, he operates in a way that's very slow. And I've mentioned this before, but he speaks in the first person to camouflage. He camouflages that it's him speaking. You think it's you speaking to yourself. And um, he makes us think that the thoughts that we're thinking come from us. Again, I want you to look at me. I'm going to ask you again. What are the lies of the enemy that are in your head? I want you to think about your conflicts. You know where you fight with people. Think about your conflicts now. We, we, we're having communion. You know, you know what communion is? We, we sort out our conflicts around the cross. In order to come together in communion, we, we've got to get to the place where, where uh, we realize that all of the conflicts that we have, the fights that we have with people, they originate in our mind. And what happens is the enemy works on us. He sows subtle thoughts which seem like small, harmless little seeds, small, harmless little thoughts, but they are loaded with his deadly poison. If you haven't doubt and given your thought life to the Lord your mind is a poisonous cesspool and you are distrusting people and you are making decisions 
on a whole lot of rubbish ideas that have come to you directly from hell. And you can never ever make the right decision when that's what's going on in your life. When we accept these thoughts, his venom runs through our, our very being until it completely destroys our image. And then we fight with people when they speak to us because we think they're saying what they're not saying. We're only hearing different stuff compared to what they're actually saying because it is, there's a destroyed image on the inside of us. The enemy has wreaked destruction. And now in, in this place, in, in this place with this kind of a mind, how do you have a relationship with God? Your relationship with God grows ever colder, ever more distant. Until you permanently separate yourself from Him. I've been in the church many years. Not just this church. And I've seen many people who started on fire for God. And over time, their relationship grew ever colder until they completely separated themselves from Him. And today I want to tell you, you've got to understand the tactics of the enemy. You've got to understand what the communion means in terms of you fighting the enemy. So that he can't deceive you. Because it is your job not to be deceived. If you are deceived, you've only got yourself to blame. Now, here's the thing. And when we have communion, we're going to pray this. But whenever you have these kinds of thoughts in your mind, you need to learn to recognize that you're dealing with the lies of the enemy. You, you've got to know this because the only, the only way to deal with the lies of the enemy is to take the blood to him and to take the word to him. There's no other weapon that you have. Do not believe these ideas. Do not allow these ideas to go around in your mind and to, 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 to wreak havoc and to bounce around in there. And to get a foothold. <clears throat> the enemy likes to project himself to you as being all-powerful. The devil. Now I want you to look at me and I want, I want you to, to look at me. This is the last thing I want to say. The enemy likes to show himself to you as someone that is all-powerful. Almighty. But he's defeated. The devil has been defeated. He's a defeated foe and he is as frustrated as anything. Some of you are, have come into the service today and you're frustrated. Let me tell you, the, 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 the devil is a trillion times more frustrated than you. And so what's happening is, is that these thoughts that he's putting into your mind are actually an outward expression of a frustrated enemy who tries to project his frustration onto others. And he tries to project his frustration onto you. But God has a message for you today. God has a message for you today. And the message is this. You are his masterpiece. You are a spectacular creation of him. The enemy doesn't want you to realize this or understand this. But you are a spectacular creation of almighty God.